our Old Testament lesson this morning is going to come from um, 1, Samuel, um, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. 1 Samuel 3, <clears throat> 1 through 11. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. The, the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. He said, Here am I. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went to lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called to me. But he said, I did not call. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not know, yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went down to lay in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make, make both the ears of anyone who hears it tingle. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love the way the, the Bible has a, um, the Bible's a wonderful book, as you well know. Um, but one thing about the Bible is you've got to remember, the Bible was written originally to be heard. The Bible is not by its very nature necessarily a book written to be read. It's more just a book written to be heard. You've got to remember, for most of human history, most of the population was illiterate. So in Israel, they were an oral culture, so they told stories. And then for much of the modern world, the concept of your own personal Bible that you took home and highlighted was a relatively modern concept. So the Bible is written to be heard more than it's written to actually even be read. That's why in church, we always have multiple scripture readings. Because for most of human history, the way that folks read the Bible through was to hear the Bible read from and worship. So the Bible is full of all, all types of evocative phrases, if you will. Like phrases that really kind of grab your attention. To me, the first verse of this reading today is one of those phrases that just grabs your attention to me. I love the way it starts out. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. This is such an, an, an evocative phrase to me. You know, sometimes we say, golly, you know, man, if we live back in the Bible days, you know, we'd see God all the time. We'd see all these cool things. You know, we live in the modern day. We don't see God like they did back in the Bible days. Well, we just read right here that they said the word of the Lord was rare in those days. You've got to remember, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And next Sunday, something happens when the Spirit falls. Before Pentecost, I always describe it like this. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was more like a rifle shot. The Spirit will come upon individual people. That's why the Bible in the Old Testament always says the word of the Lord came to so-and-so or such-and-such. -such. It really wasn't after Pentecost that everybody had access to the Holy Spirit. And frankly, in many ways, everybody had access to God. So there would be periods. There would be periods where it felt like in the Old Testament that God was silent. 
where God didn't speak, where God was not moving. And it seemed as though we see this here in this moment. As Samuel was living in the temple with, uh, with Eli. Now, you've got to remember, Samuel was a very special individual. Samuel, you know, when we look at the Old Testament, we think of the Old Testament, we think of Moses and Abraham and Noah and David, folks like that. It's, it's possible Samuel might be the most influential person in the Old Testament. Called the Samuel who anointed Saul as king originally. Then it was Samuel who anointed David as king. Samuel is one of the people in the Old Testament that God uses the most. And before Samuel, there was a season where it seems as though the word of the Lord was scarce and people weren't hearing from God and there were no visions. Samuel's very special indeed. If you remember the story of Samuel's birth, his mother Hannah comes to the altar and she's praying so hard. She's crying. And Eli thought she was drunk. She was praying so hard. I prayed hard, y'all. I don't know if I, don't know if I prayed so hard folks thought I was drunk. That, that's what's happening to Hannah. I mean, she's praying so hard they thought she's drunk. She says, no, I want a child. And the Lord grants her the shit. If the Lord were to grant me a child, I would return him back to God. And that's what she does. She has Samuel. And she returns him to Eli. So now this young boy is in the temple. The Lord calls his name. And that's something that had happened a while because visions were, as the word says, the word of the Lord was rare then, and visions were fleeting. And now here's Samuel. For the first time in ages, for the first time in ages, hearing the voice and the word of God. Now, if we were going to continue reading this, reading this text, we'd see that um, the word that God has for Samuel is not necessarily an easy word. The Lord says it's going to make the ears of all who hear it tingle. Well, if you keep reading, you'll see that it was a pretty harsh prophecy for Eli and for his family. But I don't want to get caught up in that. I don't want to get caught up in this. They went through a season where they felt like the word, the word of the Lord was absent. And then God explodes back into their midst. We've already been mentioning what an interesting year this last year has been. In fact, if, if you were going to hit rewind and go back to uh, January of 2020, oh goodness, if we had any idea what was coming our way. I, I go back and look at my Facebook status profile sometimes back from, you know, uh, March and April of 2020 and think, oh, you poor naive child. <laughs> you had no idea what was coming your way the next year. But if you remember back in the church, at that point, we were in the midst of our Rooted in Christ capital campaign. Do you remember all that we went through? Do you remember all the, all the little cottage meetings we had across the church? Many of you came to these meetings. Some of you prayed at these meetings. You saw visions for what the church could do with our capital campaign. You saw visions of what our church could do to better live into who we, God was calling us to be. We saw visions and had conversations and had prayers and had dreams and worked hard. We, we really, God had blessed our campaign, y'all. A lot of you in this room, in fact, put together a lot of hard work to get us to that point. I don't know if you remember all that because it seems like a thousand years ago, but it was only a year ago. We done, had all these sweat and tears and work and worry getting ready for this. We had this vision of what God was calling our church to. We, we'd gone to the point where we'd actually had our pledge Sunday. Do you remember that? We had a Sunday where we made pledges. And here's the crazy thing. We were on March 8th of last year going to have a celebration. 
and announce to you how much the church had, had pledged towards our capital campaign. Or maybe it was the second Sunday of March. I don't know if, that, I don't know if it was exactly March 8th, but the second Sunday of March. And then a little thing called COVID happened. And we didn't have church that Sunday. We were online. We were online for many weeks to come. And there we were. So what happened to the vision? What happened to the capital campaign? What happened to all this work that we put into it? I'll be very honest with you, y'all. When this all happened, life got a kind of, life kind of got reprioritized, didn't it? I tell people the story. It was probably the Monday or Tuesday after uh, the first Sunday we were online only. I was sitting outside the, the hall there in the office. You know the, if you know how our offices are constructed, there's kind of a main hall that runs past the front desk to the back door. I was sitting out that hallway talking to Jennifer Landris, our financial administrator. I looked at her and said, Jennifer, how many weeks can we stay open? How many weeks can we stay open without people? Like, we got, what, eight weeks? Ten weeks? How many weeks can the church continue to stay open without us gathering together financially? That's where I was about that time last year, y'all. Everybody jokes with me that St. Matthew's has a way of turning its preacher's hairs, hairs gray. No, I wouldn't say Matthew's. That, that, y- y'all, y'all, can't, y'all, can't take, y'all can take part of the blame for this, but not all of it. That's where we were. So guess what? The building kind of got put back on the back burner, didn't it? <laughs> we were more worried about kind of holding on and surviving than we were anything. But here's the thing, y'all. Here's the thing. Not only did our church survive last year, but our church thrived last year. St. Matthew's had the best financial year our church has had in its history, both in terms of tithes and offerings, in terms of expenses. We gained new members. Our membership grew. Our strength grew. Our church grew. Our presence grew. Our witness grew to the fact that now we're a church that has members from all over this part of the metro area. We're a church now that has active participants that live in other states. We have folks watching right now all over, all over the southeast. Not only did our church survive 2020, but I put forth to you that our church is stronger, better, and more united right now than we've ever been. I really believe that, y'all. And that is a testament to the grace and love of our Father and the faithfulness of our people. I am so proud of what God has done in this church in this last year. And I'm so proud and so abundantly thankful for your faithfulness in this season. God is so good. In fact, here's what's funny. Many of you, Continued to give towards the capital campaign, even in this season. Not only did you, not only were you faithful with your continued offerings of tithes and offerings, but you were faithful in terms of your contribution to the building campaign. Wow. So here we are. And what we're going to do the next few weeks, next two weeks specifically, 
is we're going to kind of recast the vision for our capital campaign is. Because you may have, I mentioned earlier, we had a meeting Tuesday night to kind of recast the vision. We've had some really wonderful opportunities come our way that I'm not going to get into the specifics of that in this sermon today. We'll talk about that next week, more specific. But if you want to know more of the specifics, you can go to our website. Like I said, click where it says capital campaign. You can get everything you need to know there. I'll be glad to talk about it with you. But I don't want to to delve necessarily into the specifics today. Because I'll tell you, I'm a firm believer in this. Um, You know, one one of the greatest movies ever in human history non-Star Wars division is, um, is um, Field of Dreams. You know, you can't not like baseball and not love Field of Dreams. You know, that's just a great movie. I mean, when, come on. When Kevin, Costner, when Kevin Costner asks his dad if he wants to play catch, if that doesn't make you cry, then we need to talk later. But what's the major theme of Field of Dreams? What is the, what, just as God called to Samuel, what did the voice say to Kevin Costner in the beginning? If you build it, they will come. And that's been the philosophy, frankly, for the church for the last probably, I'd say, 1,300 years, 1,700 years. I used to, um, I've, got, I've got a good friend of mine, um, Ember Jackson. Uh, Ember is the, I hope Ember doesn't watch this because I don't want him to think I'm talking good about him. Um, Ember is the, the lead pastor at Tupelo First United Methodist Church. Ember, for the longest time, was, uh, was the assistant to the, to the bishop. And so, which meant he did a lot of kind of the, um, the, 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 the day-to-day stuff for the conference. He ran a lot of committees and structures of the conference. And so one day, Embra approached me and said, Andy, I need you to chair a committee for me. I said, and this is back when I was young and had energy. I said, sure, what do you want me to do, Embra? He said, I want you to chair this committee called Revitalization. And for the next four years, you're going to say no to every grant that people want to, to do in the conference, and everyone's going to hate you. I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. Please tell me more. But what it was is for the conference for a long time, for for the conference, we had a lot of churches in our state that were losing their youth to the Baptist. You know why they were losing their youth to the Baptist? Well, because the Baptist had a gym. So if we had gyms, we could compete with the Baptist. So the conference had this committee whose main job was to, in many ways, fund gyms across our conference. And we were in debt to our eyeballs. We were building gyms in Bogachita. Why are we doing that? But here's the thing. We built all these gyms, and guess what happened? We still lost our youth to the Baptist. You know why? Because we weren't losing our youth to the Baptist because they had a gym. We were losing our youth to the Baptist because they had a vision. And our vision was on maintaining and just staying alive. And their vision was on trying to reach their community. We didn't lose it because we didn't have enough building. We lost it because we didn't have a vision. So my job for those few years when I chaired that committee was to basically say no to every building campaign that was brought to our attention. And so instead of giving you $100,000 to build you a gym... We'd give you 5000 to start an after-school feeding program. Or we'd give you 8000 to start a community-wide VBS effort in the park. We transitioned from trying to fund buildings to trying to fund ministry. 
And that was 1,000 times more effective in building the kingdom. So that said, you can see that I was always kind of hesitant to think about building stuff. I really was. I was not one of those pastors who longed to build buildings everywhere I went. That's, in fact, if you ask me, that's probably the thing I wanted to least do. Which I jokingly said, that meant that might be why God wanted us to do it, because I don't want to do it. <laughs> and so, usually, if I don't want to do something, that might be the thing God's calling me to do half the time. But as we began to investigate with our building needs assessment team, we began to realize that our goal was not to build some great grand Taj Mahal building for our church. That's not who we are. Our goal, our goal was to better help our church be the church that God has called us to be so that we can reach our community. Our goal was never about grandeur. Our goal was never about fancy buildings. Our goal was never about trying to impress somebody with how big we were. Our goal was to help our church better be the church that God has called us to be and better reach our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. So as we restarted this campaign, I did a little, little demographic research to get ready for our meeting the other night. I've kind of plotted out, big picture, big picture, where our church exists, roughly. There's a demographic tool the conference uses, and I kind of drew a, drew a, drew a, a little radius with the church in the center to where, to where most of our people live. Now, I didn't go crazy because some of y'all basically live in forests, so I didn't go that far out. Some of y'all basically live in Vicksburg. I didn't go that far out. But I went to the other side of the reservoir. We're seeing a lot of growth in our church. Went up to about Luxstadt area, roughly. And we have in our area, roughly, these are, I mean, you can use kind of big round numbers. About 120,000 people, roughly within the footprint of where our church exists. Roughly 120,000 people. Like I said, give or take. Statistically, within Mississippi, by the way, there's only three. Mississippi, the last decade, has lost population. Mississippi is projected the next decade to lose more population. There's only about three or four areas in our state that are growing. Here, the metro, this, this Madison, Rankin area, Hasburg area, Gulf Coast, DeSoto County. That's about it. Oxford, a little bit. So, there's about 120,000 people that live in our footprint. That 120,000 people, roughly, give or take, this is a conservative number, half of them are unchurched, meaning they're not in church. Half. The true number is probably closer to 60 or 70%, but we're going to use 50 just for round numbers. That means within the footprint of where our church exists, there's roughly 60,000 people who are not plugged into church and who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's our vision, y'all. There's folks out there who don't know Jesus. There's folks out there that don't have a community. There's folks out there that are not plugged into a place where they can live and breathe and grow and better be connected to our Savior, Jesus Christ. What we have here, I think, I'm biased, is incredibly special. I think what our church offers to the community is incredibly special. I think what we can offer to our world is incredibly special. I really do. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor. I actually mean it. 
There's a ton of folk out there in our area who don't know Jesus, who don't have community, who don't have connection, who don't have folks to love them, encourage them, be there, point them to Jesus, pray with them in the hospital, care for them when they're sick, be there for their funerals, be there for their baptisms, be there when they need somebody. And that's our job, y'all. If we're not about that, then what are we here for? If we're not about trying to reach these 60,000 folk for Jesus, then let's just close the doors. Because what are we here for if not for folks knowing Jesus? That's the vision. I have perspective and opinions on what our church can do with facilities and how we build that. Shockingly, I'll be glad to share with you. But my, but my heartbeat and my desire and my purpose in all this is to help us reach those people for Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what this is about. And I believe that God has us smack dab in one of the few places in Mississippi that's actually growing for this season and for this purpose. To reach them with something unique, special, and pointed to Jesus. That's what we're about, y'all. And that's the purpose. Next week, we'll talk more about the specifics. Once again, I remind you that you can go watch it on the website and read more about it on the website. Samuel was guided by a vision that the Lord gave him at this point. And in that vision, Samuel changed the course of human history. I think for us here, y'all, at this time, this place, God has placed us where he has us, doing what he has us doing for this purpose. We can impact this community and through that impact the world with the grace and love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God wants to do here. I'm thankful for what God's already done here. And I'm thankful with the mission and the vision that God has given us to reach this community with the life-changing love and grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. May that vision guide everything we do as a church. May it guide everything we do as a people. May it guide everything we do as a family. May God be honored and glorified in all that we do. Let's pray.